as Eric Little is coming towards the end of his life, there's sort of one last race, one final race, uh, but that would be the the race uh, in faith, the race in the Lord. And so that's that final race, that ultimate race of of uh, crossing the finish line into life everlasting. And so it's sort of a, a slow burn as you as you read through the story of his life and, and then you get to the end, and, and that's the, the culminating uh, factor to that. Chariots of Fire, the quintessential running movie. Today we have with us Eric Eichinger, the author of The Final Race, which is the biography of Eric Little, who about the Chariots of Fire is based on, his fame, his history, what actually happened in his life before, during, and after the race, but that time period of the 20s, what a big and impactful time it was for the world, and all the lessons that he learned from Eric Little and Eric Eichinger, who we're interviewing today, not only the name parallels, but all sorts of other stuff. They were both missionaries in China, dedicating their life to that. They're both ordained ministers. They they're both have a storied running background. And I think that you're going to really enjoy this interview, as well as hearing about how the book came to be, all of the background information, some of the sources that they drew from, as well as the upcoming screenplay to make the final race into a film. Uh, regardless, you don't want to miss this one. I hope that you enjoy it and throw it into your life of conviction, running any way that it fits in, and get to share it with others. It's out in the form of Audible on Amazon just about any format you can think of, the final race. Let's get started. Welcome to the Running Anthropologist podcast, Eric Eichinger. Thanks for joining us. All right. Thanks, Mark. Yeah, we're so honored to have, uh, you know, an acclaimed author and someone who's spent so much time on running and faith uh, to share with us. Um, maybe you could start off by telling us a little bit about, you know, your early life and background and how you got interested in running. And then, you know, we can dive right in. Okay. Well, I'm, uh, I'm actually from Kalamazoo, Michigan. And so a lot of people don't even realize Kalamazoo is a, is a real town. It's not fictitious. <laughs> I, I grew up there. I got a gal in Kalamazoo. I danced with my mother to, at my wedding to that song. Um, yeah, so I grew up uh, there, and I was just kind of the, the dorky, buck kid and kind of got picked on in school. Uh, and I wasn't really, you know, cool or good at anything until I discovered running and I had a lot of high energy. And so that that was really a, uh, <clears throat> a tremendous uh, experience for me growing up. But what really I would say was the impetus of that. I was probably about seven or eight and I saw the movie Chariots of Fire for the first time. We happened to get HBO and that that summer for free and and chariots of fire was just on every day a couple of times and so that sure. summer i probably watched it about 10 or 15 times and you know eric i had never seen a movie done of that quality uh in, in high level production that that depicted a christian in such a positive way and and, and it was uh, very well done so the music and, and and everything coming together so as a young boy to see 
an example of a Christian in a real-life situation in this dramatic fashion was really inspiring. And so also then his name was Eric and my name was Eric. So, oh, you know, that's (laughs) the deal. (laughs) And as I started to get older, I, you know, soon became one of the fastest kids in in my class and then one of the fastest kids in my school. And then in high school, by the end of my freshman year, I was beating the seniors in track and, you know, became one of the fastest in the state. And then ultimately I went on to Michigan State and I walked down to the team and eventually earned a scholarship there and, and scored in a lot of the Big Ten championships. That's amazing. I And just for posterity's sake, I should note that we are recording here in Kalamazoo, Michigan on, on our um, kind of family uh, vacation for the summer. And we have family here as well. And that's how I connected and learned so much about you was through, um, you know, your you're a local author um, now, of course, uh, not living in Michigan, but your Michigan background, your Michigan roots are very strong. Um, and that I also went to Michigan State. So I, I was aware of you through that as well. Um, and that running background that you had early on, would, would you say that that kind of, um, you know, tied you into your what would be your future vocation? Or how did how did that kind of play out? Well, I, you know, as you get older and you start studying the scriptures, as you're probably aware, there are a number of biblical—the Bible uses running as an image uh, frequently. And so when you start to look at that in terms of your Christian life or your tr- Christian walk or your Christian race, you know, running the way to, to win the prize and such, uh, you, you start to see and unpack some bigger themes in life. So hmm. uh, so the, the running lifestyle, be it a sprinter or a marathon uh, or ultra runner, there are a lot of parallels to the life as the Christian and a lot of the 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 sprains and twists and turns in the road that, that come in the rocky paths and the beautiful scenery. So there's a lot to that that you can apply from the running world into the Christian life. Hmm. Oh, that's that's really insightful. I, I've never taken time to kind of cross-reference that. I, I do know that the most frequent thing, I actually just heard this in a, in a um, presentation, the most frequent thing said in the Bible is, do not have fear or fear not. Um, and then I know the analogy to running and races is also in, in one of the top references as well. Um, now, thanks for sharing that. Uh, how... How did you find later on in life, um, I know that you had many ups and downs and things that led you into ministry and eventually becoming an ordained minister, just as Eric Little was. Um, when did you start uh, down the road of having an idea to write this book about the completeness, the fullness of his life, and how did you realize that parts were missing? Yeah, so um, so you're right in Kalamazoo right now, which is kind of fascinating. So I'm down in sunny Florida, although it is storming at the moment. But uh, yeah, I, so I grew up at uh, Kalamazoo uh, Zion Lutheran, so it's right there on Bronson Boulevard. And I went to Kalamazoo Christian School Systems. Um, I I got into the the ministry. I, I was always very involved with my youth group and mission trips and such. And so as I progressed through high school and into college. Uh, you know, a lot of the pastors or, or spiritual leaders were sort of asking me, like, so are you going to consider going to seminary and stuff? And and I never really was interested in that so much at the time. It was kind, kind of a, 
uh, a shadow of a thought back there, but the idea of being shackled to a pulpit week in and week out was not that appealing to me, you know, when you're a teenager or you're in your 20s and such. Sure. So, uh, but, but, oh, the romanticism of being a missionary, oh, that just seems more free and, and adventurous and such. So, um, so in college, uh, particularly later college, I started to really explore that more. And I ended up um, graduating college, and I one of the mission trips I went on, I met, we went to New York City, and a, a Lutheran pastor there, he saw some of my abilities and interests and passions, and so he gave me my first job, which was a youth director at a church out in Long Island. And so hmm. that was great, getting some real uh, ministry, you know, professional day-in and day-out type of um, experience there. And then I also got to do some, some fun races. I, I did the, the race up the steps of the empire state building a couple of times. So oh, wow. that's, uh, that's, uh, quite intense. <laughs> 86 floors, two flights per floor. Um, and I, and actually I had all of the kids in the youth group sign my shoes and, uh, I, we raised a lot of money to, to do that for like one of their mission trips. And so, so, oh, you know, wow. different, different things like that continue to progress me forward. At the end of Chariots of Fire, it, it's there's this disclaimer, or not a disclaimer, but it sort of concludes Eric Little's life with, you fall in love with this character, but by the end of the movie, there's this little sentence that says, Eric Little died at the end of World War II in occupied China as a missionary. All of Scotland mourned. And so it's just such a... Uh, uh, a final, uh, finality of a, of a period that it's like, well, wait a minute, that sounds like so much of a greater story than than Eric Little's story of how he, you know, went to the Olympics and didn't want to run on a Sunday, but ended up winning a gold medal in a completely different race, and uh, and so I, I wanted to uh, explore that that missionary life a little bit more. So that's ultimately what what got me to China with the with the Lutheran Church. And, uh, and that was one of those extra parallels of Eric Little's life that I wasn't anticipating, but it just sort of happened that way. And, and you were also, um, for those that aren't as familiar with Eric Little's later career and his calling, he was a teacher um, as, as a missionary in China. And I, I know that your background is also doing something very similar. Um, what kind of work did, did you do while you were in China? And how did that, you know, how did, what parallels did you see with as you were writing about Eric Little? Yeah, so I, I lived in China for two years. I was in uh, uh, Nanchang and Jiangxi Normal University. So I was uh, an English, uh, conversational English teacher. So I had a number of different classes and I would, I would, uh, you know, visit with a lot of different students during the day in and out of class and such too. So I, there was a very relational ministry in just getting to know them. And then you, you couldn't be, um, to like proselytizing faith and such in China with the with their rules, but in conversation it would it would come up because people always had a lot of qu uh, questions and the Chinese students were always very eager to talk with the native English speakers. So um, so there were a lot of natural conversations that organically grew out of that to be able to talk about Christianity and faith and the Bible and Jesus. Hmm. And it, Eric Little. Um... Going back to um, your motivation to start writing a book, um, I know that after after that mission work, your your life took a turn, and you kind of saw um, what you wanted to do differently. 
did did any of his life impact you at that point? Um, did you know more about his life and start thinking, gosh, I really want to tell this story now? Or when did that happen for you? Yeah, so it's, a, it's actually a really interesting story, I think. Um, I had read uh, a book about him, just a, like a general biography. And so I was starting to get a little bit more of an understanding of who he was as a person, as a Christian, as a missionary, and as a, a husband and father. And so I, I had a, there was a, a free holiday week that I had that I didn't have to teach. It was towards the end of my first year. And I knew that Eric Little died in China, obviously. And so I wanted to go and find this town uh, up in the, the Shandong province. And so I took a train up there by myself. And there were some other missionary uh, families that were there. So I got to crash with them. And the, he died in this internment camp. And it's, it's, not, it's not quite like the Holocaust camps of Germany that we might necessarily think of. Um, they were the expats that were sort of sequestered off to the side as the Sino-Japanese war was going on. So it wasn't this brutal context. However, it wasn't a, a lovely you know, context that they were in either. But, uh, but they had their own little community there uh, for a couple of years in the internment camp. So that's, that's where he died. And there's no actual grave today. It's a, it's a, a middle school for girls, I think. Hmm. Um, so I got, I got over there, I found the place and I knew there was a monument, you know, that was dedicated to him. And so the, my missionary friends knew where that was. And so I got all the way there and the gate was locked. I could see it through the gate. And so um, I, I actually crawled underneath the gate. There was like enough room for me to crawl underneath the gate and go and kind of spend a moment with my hero that I had, uh, you know, been learning about for, you know, much of my life. So I'm, I'm there and it was just kind of one of those moments and I had a friend of mine with me and like we took a couple pictures and I was just about ready to leave where I, I looked on the back of the monument. I thought I should, I should look at the back and there was uh, my favorite verse Isaiah 40 and that whole passage of on eagles on eagles wings and and uh, the running and the young men uh, stumbling and falling but those that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength and mount up with wings as eagles so um, so I, I I came back from that trip and I was telling one of my my teammates about it and they said you know what I think you, you this story's not done you you've got something to do there and so that's when I really started thinking taking all of these interest in my life where I, at, in college I was a theater major and I loved film and then I had all of my running interests as well as Eric Little living in China and and then getting to I, I had made the decision to go to seminary and become a pastor at that point so I, I headed back to the seminary and then I was getting all of the theological components so there hmm. were about five or six different elements of my life that came together and I said I want to write a screenplay about you know Eric Little and sort of the second half of his life, so that was the the incubus of the whole writing process. That's that's amazing. I you know the post Olympics period of Little's life. I, I agree with you 100 percent. Now after having read your book, which is so relational and so motivating, really. I mean, for anyone Christian, non Christian, it offers. Uh, so much perspective, whether, whether despite whatever cultural background you're from, Eastern or Western, there's something in it that um, you can connect with and that really provides a bridge between people, I think. And Eric Little's um, character was such that we learned so much about him through his stories and the letters that you share 
and his speaking engagement and the articles that were written about him and his homeland and the Scottish papers and the student magazine and the Oxford group, all of these kind of um, 1920s things that happened during the Roaring Twenties and then how the, the depression and then the oncoming war um, changed life for him and everyone in the world. Um, that was all right in that book that you wrote, which I, I think is so, um, so impressive. Um, first of all, thank you for writing that. And secondly, maybe you could share just a few tidbits of um, things that changed your life or that left you really surprised about Eric Little's life after the Olympics, things that you found while researching for the book, um, maybe major takeaways in, in your own life. Well, I, I think um, if, if you just get a drive-by view of Eric Little from Chariots of Fire or, or a little bit, if, if you know anything about him, he didn't want to run on a Sunday and so because of his Christian faith. So that can come across as a very law-oriented, legalistic type of a Christianity, which to the non-believer can feel sort of off-putting. You know, they don't always quite understand that. Um, as, as I got to go further into um, reading about him, and you get into the camp, he started studying theology and getting over into the mission field and wrestling with some of that. He, he probably had more of a law-oriented understanding of faith at, at the beginning, but by the end of his life, there's, a, there's the gospel component as well. And so he, there's actually one amazing story where, you know, he, he would never do anything on Sunday athletically, but the kids, the youth in this internment camp were always playing on Sundays and they were getting in fights and stuff. And so he, he wouldn't go out and, and interact with them. That was the day of rest. But one, one Sunday he did actually go out and he refereed like an ice hockey game. And he's, and I think, I think his quote was something along the lines of, uh, I would rather be a good example to the young men to not fight and how to conduct themselves as opposed to keeping my perfect record of, of Sunday attendance untarnished. You know? mm -hmm. And so, so you know, able to demonstrate a, a gospel approach as well. And so that's always the Christian reconciling the, the law. Uh, we want to be obedient and adhere to God's word, but there's also the gospel and grace and mercy and forgiveness. And so um, I think towards the end of his life, he, he was writing a little bit more about that because he actually wrote a, a theology book as well. Hmm. You know, one of the things that struck me, um, it was right around the middle of the book, um, the importance of the Oxford group um, to him and to kind of his developing his thinking and, like you said, his approach to the gospel. Um, and the quote that, that you shared was that um, the gospel was all about receiving and much less about his action and understanding and research and trying his best to accomplish it, but was about receiving the gospel more than anything and that, that really struck a chord with me, uh, particularly in the light of, you know, the Oxford group's history and the, the impact that it had on so many, eventually leading to the 12 Steps uh, movement, which um, has had such a huge impact on people's lives. Yeah, yeah. And there, I think there's one uh, individual that came across, because um, I've researched this and I, I wrote about it a little bit, but there was a Lutheran pastor of all people, Frank Buckman, uh, that they had a, a couple of interesting conversations as well. So I thought, okay, like the Lutheran pastor is going to be talking about gospel. You know? And so 
um, and just the distinction between law and gospel. So, um, so that would, uh, that would make a lot of sense, but yeah, you know, the, the exhaustion of trying to live the perfect life, uh, as opposed to recognizing it is God who, um, who makes us perfect. And so when, when that mental click starts to go over, um, you, you recognize, Oh, um, I don't, I don't have to, you know, you know, be perfect. It's God who makes me perfect because of his death and resurrection and forgiveness. So, um, and then it, it completely levels the playing field and how you approach your life or your race of faith or, or what have you. Yeah. in the first half of the book up until that point, I guess, um, he really struck me as, as a person. And he kept quoting that verse in the Bible about be perfect as your father is perfect and just very haunted by his own, mistakes and um, having to hold that perfection so tightly. And then moving into the second half of the book, you really see a change in him in terms of what you just explained that, you know, it's not about me. Um, I'm never going to be there, but it's about what I can do just by lifting things up, um, living in a non-dualistic way, just lifting things up to God. Yeah. And, and actually, I'm glad you quoted that specific verse because Eric Little would would say that to people from time to time, be perfect, therefore, as my heavenly father. And there's a very law legalistic way to hear that. But there's also a very gospel oriented way to hear it, too, as, as if Jesus is saying it to you, be perfect, therefore, as my heavenly father is perfect, you know, and so it is him declaring that you are made perfect, that you are holy and forgiven and such. So, yeah, again, the dichotomy is always fascinating. Hmm. Um, you know, the other takeaway that I had, I don't know if you were surprised by this, but he he was a fast runner and he was probably the fastest human being on earth at that time. Uh, yeah. What yeah. I understand. But he was also an amazing athlete in just about any other sport being played in that day that I could think of that was mentioned in your in your writing. Um, could you tell us a little bit more about that and what you learned and read about about his other sports that he did? Well, yeah, I, I mean, he, he played for the Scottish national team with rugby. And so, um, and I, you know, I'm not extremely well versed in, in all of the, the rules and such there. But, um, but yeah, he earned so many caps and, and such. And so uh, he, he was, a, you know, a, a very speedy wing uh, with that. And, and it correlates to some of our football as well. So, um, so yeah, he played on the national team there, but also, uh, with 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 soccer or or foot their version of football and and then they had something called rounders which which is more akin to our baseball and so again any any time where where strength and speed and, and agility is being utilized he's he's going to excel yeah without um, ruining the plot too much I, I think people will definitely enjoy reading the entire book and every chapter gave me something new that related to my own life. Um, being recently married, having children, and kind of those processes for Eric Little and how she, he saw them relating to his faith and his calling and teaching, and then those difficult decisions that he had to make between staying in the mission field and going back to Scotland where things were safer and kind of those obligations pulling him in different directions. I think most of us can relate to that feeling of being pulled by what we want to do versus what's safe for our family versus what we're called to do. Um, they were played out really well in the writing of the book and you were so relational in, in the ways that you portrayed his conversations and his thinking. Um, how did you do that or how, what did you draw from to get into his head like that? 
Well, one of the one of the techniques uh, we used, um, and and uh, I, I would be remiss if I did not mention my friend Eva Marie Everson. So she she's written on probably thirty or forty books, I think, to her credit, and she's written a number of novels. So I I think what makes this biography unique from a lot of other biographies is the first. A uh, couple paragraphs of every chapter is going to flow like a novel, and then it, you, it unpacks into what you'd expect more from a from a biography. So you you really get to kind of feel uh, in the moment what uh, what he was thinking, what he was doing. So it breathes a lot of life into uh, a story that's a hundred years old now. Yeah, it, it makes really it makes it feel like it just happened, and it's it's neat because it's not just a biography, but it's more like a historical novel, and that you get to know what's happening at those various time periods and connect it to real real people um, at that time in their lives. Uh, could I ask you maybe, you know, that was a time of tumultuous change that you wrote about between the first and the second world war. Um, the internment, uh, as you mentioned, of, of those doing missionary work or any expatriates working across the globe during World War II. Um, so many changes and so many challenges for an average individual. How, what are your thoughts about kind of how you relate that to our current situation, uh, global pandemic, and, um, you know, the, obviously the very real um, social justice and racial justice uh, storms uh, storming across the U.S., um, hoping to create change now um, in, in our United States. Um, yeah, Eric Little was uh, one of the words that I think summarizes him best is compassionate. And, and so he would always be looking and seeking for opportunities to assist or help uh, people, particularly the marginalized people, uh, whenever possible. So, so he was very grace-oriented, compassionate, uh, was on his mind. Uh, you know, applying that to our, our present context today, um, you know, it's, it's challenging because I think there's, you know, the issues out there are more complex than perhaps can be summarized in a hashtag phrase uh, or what have you. Um, he would he knew how to speak his truth in love, and so he was obedient to God's word. He wouldn't just say whatever whatever people would necessarily want to hear. One, one quote um, his wife Flo said at one point was, was just marveling at how Eric could clearly state what he believed, and that would sort of rile up people from time to time. Um, but he knew how to stand under pressure, and, and particularly with, with not wanting to run on, on a Sunday when he's the, the shoe-in to win the gold medal for the country. And, and, and people, people don't quite realize this. I mean, Eric Little in the day, he was kind of like a Michael Jordan, LeBron James type of a figure mm-hmm. for Great Britain. I mean, he was that popular and successful. So, um, so and, and, and the way Chariots of Fire depicts that, too, it's like a – uh, a couple of days turnaround from the switching from the 100 to the 400 meters. And so in reality, it was closer to a year. So that's that's a lot of heat to take for a long time uh, being, you know, the darling of the population to all of a sudden becoming the goat and and uh, and then being able to have that moment of vindication where he he wins the gold medal. So he knew how to how to uh, stand under pressure. And mm. I, I think, too, the, the basis with him would be. Um, he knew that Jesus was the most important thing. And so when Christ is the most important thing, whatever else other people are saying or doing, you know, it, it's going to fall into place. Hmm. 
Yeah, well, that certainly offers a lot of wisdom um, in terms of how to respond uh, compassionately and honestly. And I, I would say the other thing which you kind of hinted at is his, his humility um, and his willingness to admit when he didn't know about something. He, he rarely, he always declined to speak about things, as you noted throughout the book, that he didn't know much about. He just stuck to, I know I'm just going to talk about this. This is what I know about, you know, relationship uh, with Christ and sports and, you know, his humble upbringings um, in, in the mission field and what he'd learned from that. Uh, and those those ideas, I think, apply to any difficult situation that I am going through where people ask me to respond to something or to give an opinion. And quite often I say, you know what, I, I don't know enough about that to speak about it, but I, I can respond with compassion as, as I know my faith calls to to respond to that. So that that's what I got from the book, which I think is, is what you're getting at as well. Yeah. I, you know, I, I've talked to a few people about this too. They, they read the book and they get to know him. And, and oftentimes with, with life application issues that they've told me like, I, what would Eric little do in this situation? Because you start to see how, how he addresses issues and how he handled it. He, he does have a unique approach. And so it is, it's interesting to, to get to know about that and ponder it. You get the sense that he had a lot of um, vitality and charisma, but that he was also an introvert and they somehow juxtapose each other. And you just have to think like, man, he must just have been so honest and humble that people were drawn to him, um, you know, due to his, his nature. But still, he, he didn't really like crowds and speaking to people, but he did it because people asked him to. Oh, yeah, def- definitely. I, yeah, w- one of the other lines, I think, is uh, somebody, I think it was at his funeral, uh, described him as Eric Little lived a God-controlled life. And so it's, you know, and I always like to ask students this today, too. I don't like to say, like, what, you know, what do you want to do when you grow up? I like to ask them, how do you think God is going to use you uh, when you grow up or, or, you know, in whatever vocation or pursuit you want to go after? And it it changes it because you start to recognize God is working through me. And, And so I think that's how Eric Little lived his life is recognizing God's working through it. So all those opportunities that would present themselves he would he would you know use the holy spirit to discern how am i going to go about doing this how am i going to use my fame from running and success uh, as a platform in a way that is not uh you know pandering to his own interests there was another now that you mentioned that there was another um, part of the book that really struck me as being a great analogy um just in case listeners don't go out and get the book right away or don't have the time to to read or listen to the audiobook which um, uh, I know is free uh, at this point if you're if you're new to like audible or some of the some of the services like that um, but I I would relay that um, the analogy of the pearl and um, gosh I can't remember exactly what it was but the differentiation that he made in his simple teaching about the the kingdom of heaven do you, do you recall that uh, it, you know what is hilarious, Mark, is I'm actually writing a sermon about the pearl of great price at this very moment. Oh wow! <laughs> <laughs> that, that happens to be the uh, pericope text for this weekend. So. Wow! Wow! <laughs> uh, so what? Um, what was the difference in the way that 
that little asked us to see that that pearl in the way that typically people people say it. Yeah. Well. Okay. So th- this is one of Jesus' kingdom parables. So any anytime Jesus tells a lot of different parables, but anytime Jesus says a kingdom parable, which is the kingdom of heaven is like this. Boom. Uh, a lot of times people reading the Bible in English, they'll hear the word kingdom, and they're thinking of that as a noun. So they're trying to uh, relate or understand the, the the illustration in terms of looking for the kingdom as a noun. So the merchant who goes and he finds the pearl, you know, then he goes and he sells all that he has uh, to to buy it. And uh, and then actually the verse right before that is the the buried treasure, which it's it's the same story and concept just in, in different phrases. Where uh, the man who is uh, goes and he finds a, a treasure immediately, he buries it, goes sells everything he has to go buy the field. And so um, so people try to interpret that well, the kingdom of heaven must be salvation in God and in Christ. And so when I as the person find that, I should go and sell everything that I have and sell out for Jesus and do this, which is a very law-oriented way of doing things. It's like, am I doing enough? Am I being enough? Uh, am, am I living well enough and this kind of thing? But in actuality, the word kingdom in Greek is really used more as a, as a verb. And so a teacher teaches um, a king kings or we don't speak that way but a king reigns and so Hmm. it's more it's not the kingdom of heaven it is the reign of heaven so to be looking for the activity of god in in christ and so the person the merchant or the man in those parables it's not me reading ourselves into the text it's actually christ and so it is jesus it is christ who finds the treasure and then he buries it and then he goes and sells all he has and buys the field it is the merchant who is christ who is seeking the pearl and then he goes and sells all he has and and buys the pearl so what is the treasure what does jesus sell everything up into death we are the treasure Hmm. you know the people are the treasure so that's that whole flip of the law to the gospel and and how we look at things so our faith is not about uh, try harder, do better Christianity. Our faith is how much God loves us that he's willing to send his only son to die and rise to forgive us. So we are that, that valuable, precious treasure that, that he bring, you know, that he desires so desperately to have. Hmm. That, that's beautiful. I, I appreciate you sharing that more, much more, uh, much more charismatically than I, than I could, but that, that was one of my favorite analogies in the book. And has to do with that that big debate at the time in that time in our history about atonement. You know, people thinking, "Oh, this salvation thing is just for this select few," or is is it really for everyone? That grace of God is is just for everyone, regardless of action or background. And that that um, new view of atonement is one that Eric Little embraced um, throughout your book. You see his training and the the things that he grows into as. Um, as a you know new century man at that time <laughs> yeah yeah definitely you know it, it was interesting too one of the, one of the things i had to wrestle with with the uh, with the editing team was the fact that eric little was baptized as an infant and you know just something like he was washed in eternal grace and such and so they're like well that's going to be offensive to people and i and i like but but that's what he happened you know that's that's what they believed and so it's like and that's that whole thing too if if you see faith as what you have to do to show God you love him, 
then it makes sense to exclusively do an adult baptism. But if if God is actually doing all of the work, it's His word and His action and His love. Then you know that way baptism as an adult or an infant makes complete sense. Hmm. Another another interesting tie in to to His life. Um, I, well, I, I'd like to take a step back from the book because I I think I've sold it enough. Hopefully, anyone listening. Who, who has the ability and a slight interest in Chariots of Fire and Eric Little's life will will buy it or will find a way to, to get connected to it, um, the audiobook or somehow. And I I know that you didn't want this to be a, a book selling session, but this is what it became a little bit because I um, I feel so strongly. It's such a well-written and, and beautiful story. Um, and I, I think you did a wonderful job with it. Um, I'd like to talk a little bit about um, what gives you the motivation to wake up and keep going? What what kind of projects you're you're into now that this big chapter of uh, of life has has closed for you in in writing the book? Well, I um, it, you know what's funny is I didn't really ever decide like, hey, I want to write a book about Eric Little. So um, I think I mentioned earlier. So my original idea was that I wanted to make this this movie. And so, um, so I wrote this screenplay and then, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, throwing pebbles and stones at the windows of Hollywood for a few years. Cause you know, if you don't have any connections and stuff, it's very difficult, but the more, so I, I ended up uh, connecting with some people uh, that really caught the vision. And the more I talked about my interest in Eric Little, the more they would want to hear like, well, how did he influence you? And so that, that's a, an interesting component to this whole thing. So, uh, so the film that we're, we're working on right now is not so much Chariots of Fire Part 2, uh, but it's more of, of how Eric Little influenced someone like me to end up becoming a missionary, becoming a pastor, and, and proclaiming and stuff. So, uh, so the opportunity to do the book was born out of out of all of that so i i just find god continues to open doors as uh, i keep continue to try to uh, to listen and do what i feel called to do and so um so we keep moving forward and and uh, we're still still working on a, on a film okay great well i look forward to it um the there's a lot of running uh that connects to a lot of the analogies you've already shared but um, you were a successful collegiate runner, and you've continued running throughout your life. What um, you know? What words of wisdom or advice um, do you have specifically for other runners that you know you've kind of gathered from your own life or from the work that you've done studying Eric Littles? Well, you know, I'm I'm going to end our uh, our podcast session and like today and this afternoon. The next thing I have to do is I have to go and do. Uh, the commendation of the dying for uh, one of my beloved members of our congregation who has cancer mm-hmm. and is getting close. And oftentimes I, I say with these um, with these dear saints in Christ, uh, that Isaiah 40 passage, because I love I love the whole um, running analogy and how, Every, every runner, you know, they, they get to that point where, man, I just can't run as fast as I used to be able to. So, like, I don't enjoy being in my mid-40s. I can't run like I could when I was in my mid-20s, you know. The, the running is a young man's game. Um, however, faith in Christ, there is eternal life waiting. 
and so there there is the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting and so that Isaiah 40 passage has continued to be a mantra for me and that is uh, so I'll, I'm going to say this this afternoon uh, to uh, to my friend who's dying um, and it gives hope and that is hast thou not known hast thou not heard the Lord is the everlasting father the creator of the ends of the earth he does not grow tired or weary and his understanding no one can fathom he giveth power to the weak, and to those that have no strength he increaseth might. For even youth grow weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not be faint. And uh, Eric Little is preaching from the pulpit on a Sunday that he was supposed to be running his race to win the gold medal. And they juxtapose that with a lot of the men that are struggling and, you know, not, not getting and earning the fame that they're striving after. But I think too, there is a lot of reg regret or people when we get to the end of our life or the end of our sickness and illness. And we look back and, and that, that, uh, memories from the past that we kind of glory days as Bruce Springsteen would sing and to to recognize there's, there's an eternity in front of us and those that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength and they shall run and mount up with wings. And so I just love being able to give the comforting good news to people. And it, and it helps me as I, as I, I've, I've transitioned probably more into a jogger these days than a runner, <laughs> but I'm, I'm mindful that it will get better one day when he returns. So, uh, a final question that I often ask guests, Eric, is can you tell us about your favorite race experience or a story from a favorite race that, um, you know, might give, tell us a little bit more about you as a runner? Sure. Um, yeah, so it was at Michigan State, and I had a, a lot of, of different levels of, of trying to walk onto the team, and then, you know, can you can you beat the guys that are trying to walk onto the team, and then can you uh, earn a spot on the team, and then can you uh, earn a spot on the travel squad? Can you, uh, you know, score points in the meets and, and get earn your varsity jacket and all these types of things? And, and so it was a lot of fun, a lot of these – uh, different achievements that I had uh, won, you know, throughout the years there. Um, so I started to get, you know, pretty good and holding my own. And then uh, it was the Big Ten Championships in Champaign, Illinois. And I, uh, I qualified in the preliminaries to get to the finals of the 1500 meters. And I, I was lining up uh, on the starting line in between two guys from Michigan that they were both sub four minute milers. And, and there I was right in, in the in between of them and they went out fast sometimes the 1500 is like a, a sit and kick tactical race but we went out fast and everybody knew they were, they were going to try and and uh, run a really fast time so uh i i found myself sort of in the back of the pack and then i was in the middle of the pack and then with 200 meters to go i was i found myself somehow in third place and i was I had that tunnel vision type of experience. So the Big Ten Championships, they score the top eight places score. Hmm. And I I was, you know, there's Olympians in the race, and I ended up finishing sixth place. So I scored some important points for our team. And I was the third American, just to kind of give you an idea of the competitive nature of what was going on. So I had, I had run my fastest time of my life, which was 
about 349, 350. And so, you know, you're starting to flirt with the four-minute mile there for the 1,500 meters. And I was just exhausted. I, I had deposited myself on the, on the you know, the, the grass of the infield, and I was just breathing hard. And, and I remember my coach walked up to me, and he said, well, we'll, we'll find you some scholarship money for, for next year, which was going to be my last year. And that, that moment was just, I, I realized, like, that was it. I had arrived, and I had accomplished the goals that I had wanted to do. And so it was just a, a, a real iconic memory for me in my career. That's awesome. I, I know that you've um, gotten into a little bit longer distances as, as you've gotten older. Uh, any uh, long-distance races that were especially memorable? You know, I uh, I was in uh, New York for a couple of years, and th- this was a, quite a quite a powerful moment too. We did a it was just a five k race, but it you remember uh, nineteen ninety nine clicking over to two thousand and the whole Y two k phenomenon, and is the world going to shut down with all the computers and the end of the world and yada yada, and and they were doing a, a midnight run in Central Park in New York of Manhattan, huh, and it, wow. it, it was going to start at. At, at midnight and so right at that moment when it was clicking over to 2000 and so my whole family was there out for new year's in new york and so it was like this big thing and we went into manhattan we trained in manhattan and every single police officer in new york new york's finest were all out because it's just it's a big night huge crowds what what's going to happen and pandemonium and whatnot so we we navigated our way to central park and then uh, there were probably a few thousand people in the race, but of course I'm, I'm pretty much in my prime at that point. So, so the, the gun goes off, it's, it's 1999 clicking over to 2000 and people are drinking champagne and running and, and the city's going crazy. And so I'm, I'm running out in the front of thousands of people through central park and then the fireworks start going off all over the place. So it's midnight, it's pitch dark running through the the forest of central park and it it felt like a war type of scenario it was just the most bizarre experience but but absolutely memorable and i'll I'll never forget it that's great i'm sure i'm sure you finished strong compared to a lot of the a lot of the revelers yeah i was probably in the top i think i was in the top five but i was you know yeah you're just kind of having fun and just being carefree and enjoying the moment (laughs) <laughs> That's great, Eric. Well, thanks for sharing a little bit about your life and uh, a lot about Eric Littles today and uh, look forward to talking to you more in the near future. Best wishes uh, with everything. Very good, Mark. Yeah, and ha- as always, happy running. And thanks for joining us today. It's been an awesome episode. I really hope that you're able to take some of this information and apply it to your own life about the Olympics, about humility, honesty, conviction, all these cool things that we learned from studying the life of someone like Eric Little in those 1924 Olympics, almost a century ago. It's hard to believe, but same things apply to today. How can we seek to create good and compassion in the world? And as we go about our day, I hope that you and yours are able to enjoy and appreciate the little things. We'll be posting this episode on all of our podcast channels. You're welcome to share it anywhere that podcasts are heard as Running Anthropologist. We also have our website, runninganthropologist.com, our YouTube and Instagram channels. On any of those, you can message us if you have an area of running culture, personal, body, mind, spirit, anything that you think tells us about running culture or your own motivation and inspiration. 
Until next time, happy running. <laughs>